Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. It's our most ambitious techniques episode to date, listener. It involves chemicals, special and fairly pricey equipment, and a not insignificant investment in both time and effort. But don't swipe up or tune out just yet, because not only do we have the perfect guest to explain and hold our hand through the process, he's also devised a home bartender solution. So you have no excuse. The technique is, of course, clarification, and the returning guest is our go-to source for all things techniques. It's Mr. Jack Schramm, everybody. I think one of the most important aspects of today's episode is not just how to clarify fresh ingredients for cocktails, but why you should be considering it. And when you start to hear Jack wax lyrical on that topic, well, all I can say is that I think there's going to be a lot of converts by the end of this one. Hold these stirred daiquiris and fire up the spinzol. It's another special techniques episode of the Cocktail College podcast. Jack Schramm, back in the studio. Back at it again. Second time in the studio, I think. Third time recording. I think this might be your fourth episode. Is this my... I think this is my third episode because we did the one upstairs in the old studio and then one here. But we did one and we spliced one. Ah, it's true. And this listener is how the sausage gets. You're, you're, you're listening to the sausage get made right here. We did, we did a twofer upstairs. Yes. So you are the first person to appear on the show four times. Wow. I think one of those times you didn't get answered a set of questions, though. So you're still on the third set here okay. that we're going to ask you today. Great. Um, before we do, and, and Jack, you are our, I'm going to say it now, official techniques correspondent here at Cocktail College. Wow. You did the first one. You set a high bar. Joey Smith came in the room and, and he went over that like a pole vaulter. Then you came back and many other people, but I, you know, I know you and Joey are, are, are friends there. Of course. And Joey, a former roommate of mine. So I'm glad that we're keeping it in the family <laughs> technique wise. And we've had, you know, we've had one or two others, uh, amazing techniques episodes. And when I don't want to get too much in the, you know, the mechanics of things, but when we hear from listeners, they tell us they love the techniques episodes, which is great because we thought, are we going a bit too granular? But if there was anyone to do it with, it would be yourself. So welcome Thank back. Thank you. I appreciate it. Before we get into today's topic, today's topic is clarification. We were chatting a little bit about this off air, but I want to say that we are definitely like to hear all opinions here and approaches to cocktails at Cocktail College. We've had folks on who feel very strongly against not making your own bitters. And then on the other hand, we've had folks who came on here and make them and make a very good case for it. I think clarification today's topic is another one of those. We've seen some skepticism. So I'm going to say you might be trying to uh, win us over a little bit today. Wow. Or some folks. Well, you know what? I think that once I make the case for tasting these classic flavor profiles in a new way, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's no argument against it. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. you can decide not to do it because it, you know, takes a little bit of effort and a little bit of uh, technique and, you know, sometimes some technology. Not necessarily, though. Don't worry. You don't need to have a centrifuge. Does it help? Yes, but you don't need to have one. Uh, it's just a great technique. We'll mm-hmm. get into it. I like that. And and you know what? Like I said, I, I don't want to be a skeptic because I'm here. I'm equal opportunities for all approaches to cocktails. So off the bat... 2023. Yeah. Clarification is something that I think has taken on different forms. I want you to tell us about them, you know, as as, as trends and whatnot. It feels like something that people have been talking about with excitement for a good few years now. So it being 2023, should I be selling my stocks in clarification as a as a technique and as a trend? Should I be shorting my position here if I'm if, if I'm super bought into it? Or or how do I feel? Or are these things just this is GameStop, is it still going up? Listen, clarification as an overarching idea, I'd say is has never been more popular than it is right now. Wow. I think that the world of milk punches has really taken off. And you know, alternative milks are huge for punches right now. I'm seeing, you know, Coconut milk, oat milk, all sorts of, you know, soy milk clarified milk punch. Uh, anything that'll curdle can also strip away, strip away uh, you know, color and tannin and all the things that you're removing with clarification. Uh, and milk punches are great 
and they're they're a great way to explore flavors, but I do find that you lose a little bit of character from each of the ingredients uh, that you might not have wanted to lose. You know, it strips away a little bit of the character of whatever the spirit is, especially if it's an aged spirit. You know, it's stripping all that oak out of, you know, whiskeys or rums or w- whatever it is you're using. So I'm not here today to argue about milk punches. Mm-hmm. I think they're delicious and they're great and keep making them. I will say, just as a general thing that I'm seeing in the world of milk punches, if your milk punch has, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten ingredients, maybe it only needs to have five. Maybe scale it back slightly mm-hmm. because you're stripping away so much. Just have it be a little more focused, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still going to be delicious. You're just losing a lot. A wonderful advice there from, from our techniques correspondent. And before we do move on from milk punches, though, why do you think we're seeing that trend right now? Is that a correlation? Is that something that's happening in tandem, like you said, with more and growing interest in alternative milks? Um, you know, or is that just a coincidence? I think it's all combined. You know, the the alternative milk thing is definitely a plus because you can use a, you know, trendy ingredient in a cocktail and still have it be delicious and not, you know, feel like you're really putting like, you know, a soy milk cocktail on your menu, but you're just using it in an elevated way. I also think that milk punches are a great way to take something that's really complex and interesting and put it on your menu in a way that is so fast for service. You make the batch and it sits in the fridge and you pour it over ice. Boom, you're done. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's really the argument for milk punches is delicious cocktail at lightning fast speed during service. And probably they're... As with everything, there's maybe a little pandemic influence happening there, right? We, we, we've talked a lot with folks about maybe uh, migration of labor to different markets or labor shortages or, or people with more experience. So therefore, batching probably as important now as it's ever been since it became Absolutely. a thing. There's definitely, you know, been a migration of, you know, talented folks out from behind the bar. And the more cocktails you can put on your menu that don't require any know-how, essentially, that are still delicious, that's that's wonderful for everyone, you know, drinkers included. Mm-hmm. And I think great arguments to be made, you know, for other aspects of it. I would point folks to um, our episode with John Adler from Shinji's. They literally couldn't do their program without batching, and it's, an, it's a very interesting program. Yeah, every program that I've ever worked at utilized batching, in in some sense to some degree. And for folks that don't know, uh, I've only ever worked at three bars and they've all closed. So that's Booker and Dax, The Nomad, and Existing Conditions. All great bars, all gone forever, all used batching. All missed, by the way, as well. Thank you. Dearly missed. I appreciate that. Um, You know, the amount of folks that, yeah, you mention any of those names and and there's that comment usually comes very fast or very quickly after it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, shame that you sunk all three of them. But uh, I know, because <laughs> I'm the common thread between them all, frankly. So, Are you oh. the only person that worked at all three? So, funny enough, uh, Joey Smith did a trail at Existing Conditions, but he worked at Booker and Dax and The Nomad. Uh, but he never actually worked at Existing Conditions. So, yes, I am the only through line between those three spaces. That's very interesting. It's it's like so, folks often talk about other on you know other sides of things when you have like the death and co milk and milk and honey and the different families there. And mm-hmm. I don't know whether there's anyone that anyway. We're we're, we're getting a little bit too far oh, the, from the <laughs> the Dave Arnold family of bartenders that include you know Austin Henley who's killing it at Cato in L.A. Souther Teague, uh, Nicholas Bennett who's now out the game to be a dad full time and we're so proud of him for yes, it yes amazing doing, doing wonderful content yeah, as well absolutely he's the greatest puppet bartender alive which you know the, uh, that's an incredible title mm-hmm. great job Bennett we love you we miss you <laughs> Ben's doing a great job there though now uh, filling big oh, shoes absolutely. to fill and that Porch actually Light. Porchlight is a solid Wiggles account nice we've got some some really fun uh, jello shots on the menu there and that is also part of the conversation today, part of what makes you an expert for this, the work that mm-hmm. you do, that you've transferred these techniques 
two solid wiggles. Um, before we dive into clarification fully, Jack, you're a friend of the show. Do you want to give us a couple of minutes? Just tell us what's going on at Solid Wiggles yes. right now. Where where you're you're on Gold Belly, was it? Yeah, we we have been on Gold Belly for uh, well over a year now. Mm-hmm. We're shipping six inch cakes nationally on Gold Belly. For those that don't know, Solid Wiggles is a uh, you know technique and technology and artistry driven Jello shot company essentially that my partner Jenna Derman and I started in 2020 when, you know, we had a little extra time. We were still working, but, you know, the bars were closing and, you know, Jenna is a pastry wizard and her, you know, clients were sort of slowing the the work that she was doing with pastry consulting. And we had some time and came up with this idea. You know, Jenna had been making these beautiful jelly cakes for years and needed someone to help with some new flavor profiles because the flavorful liquid that Jenna was using was coconut water. But that's sort of limiting when you want to use new flavors. So she reached out to me, knew that I was an expert on clarification, and said, hey, can you help me make some stuff clear so I can set it with jelly and then inject beautiful shapes into it? And I said, absolutely. And we met up, you know, clarified some citrus, clarified some cucumber water, and after like 45 minutes of recipe development, I was like, oh my God, we have to put booze in these mm-hmm. like yesterday. We need to do this <laughs> right now. And the rest is history. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, it's the only thing that I do with my time now. That's incredible. I, I don't have any other, you know, I still do a little bit of freelancing, but my full-time gig is Solid Wiggles. Mm-hmm. And we need to get you back writing again, Jack. We, we enjoyed your bylines yes. on Vine Pair. We're we'll, going to make it happen. We'll absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, number one in my heart, will always be the Wiggles. Solid Wiggles. So yeah. a business born out of this very technique that we are here to discuss Exact today. Proof that it is important and still <laughs> works and people are still interested in it, even if we're taking, you know, clarified citrus and then, you know, in some cases acid adjusting it and then setting it with sugar and gelatin mm-hmm. and booze and then injecting milk jelly into mm-hmm. it to make this beautiful, you know, individual cube that you pop in your mouth. It's still clarification. Mm-hmm. So... Totally get the use case scenario with regard to solid wiggle there, right? Why you want yeah. to make these beautiful looking constructions, right? And they're, and they're clear. Mm-hmm. What about in the bar? So let's start by talking about citrus first, right? Because yeah. I would imagine that oftentimes that's where people have first been or mainly been using this technique. Yeah. Why am I using clarification in a bar for citrus? Sure. So single ingredient clarification, you know, of things like lemon juice and lime juice is so valuable because it gives you a new avenue to explore familiar flavors. The high acid stirred cocktail is my absolute favorite category of drinks. And it's possible to explore it with things, you know, like Fino Sherry or any any bright fortified wine or, you know, Verjou, things in that category that are already clear. And keep in mind, I am not advocating for anyone at all, ever, never have, never will. Don't stir a daiquiri. Don't stir a drink that is meant to be shaken, that is, its whole life exists on the bubbles on top. You know, daiquiri is one of the greatest cocktails of all time. It has to be shaken. Don't stir a daiquiri. Don't think that I'm telling you to stir a daiquiri. But you can make something new that has the viscosity and richness of a stirred cocktail and the, you know, bright, complex acidity of lemon and lime. This is, this is already, um, you're piquing my interest right here. I'm like, that to me, is a very convincing argument. And I'm just playing, you know, the other side of the table here. I'm playing the voice of the skeptics. I'm not actually a skeptic myself (laughs) when it comes to this. Um, Brilliant. I'm like, you know what? You've convinced me, sold. I've now bought shares in clarification. I've increased my stock. Um, Beyond citrus, or what other uses for citrus am I, where am I taking this? Sure. So you were speaking earlier about, you know, to make your own bitters or not make your own bitters. You know, I'm not advocating for you to make a product that's already delicious. You know, you know I'm not telling you to make your own Ango, but I am telling you to make your own Rose's Lime. Very nice. So the, cordial here. The cordial, the clarified citrus cordial, lemon and lime, are, I think, the most useful ingredients in that, that I've ever used behind a bar because of a combination of shelf life, which is essentially infinite, there was a mix-up when we were opening existing conditions where we thought we were getting, you know, a few units of uh, bergamot, you know, wildly expensive citrus. Yes. And 
we weren't getting a couple of pieces. We got a case. Wow. We had a, you know, full case of bergamots. And we had to do something with it because they were a couple days away from being unusable. And that's an expensive case of citrus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we made a tincture with some super high, you know, 96% alcohol, like almost pure ethanol. Mm -hmm. Made a bergamot tincture that was absolutely delicious. And then took the juice, clarified it, and made a cordial out of it. You know, just brought it up to a bare simmer, uh, equal parts by weight with sugar. And, you know, threw some of the peels in that as well. So it would leach some of that peel flavor back out and let it cool, strained off the peels. And it lived in the walk-in at existing conditions for the whole time the bar was open. And we would use it in, you know, like baller drinks every once in a while. Like there was a a single malt scotch with bergamot cordial, like old-fashioned style drink that was on the menu uh, for, I think it was like 40 bucks that we would sell like, one of every night, but it was phenomenal. That sounds incredible. Yeah. It was like Brockla 23, I want to say, some, something like that. And this cordial that was so delicious. That, this was a Bobby Murphy original. Bobby Murphy, who just opened uh, Illis in Greenpoint with the Noma folks doing the beverage program for them. I haven't been in to check it out, but you got to go see Bobby and try his drinks because everything he does is absolutely delicious. Wow. So yeah. not only... Are we unlocking an avenue that says we can start stirring citrus drinks here and getting a better result? I Mm -hmm. actually do something that's visually wonderful, but also tastes great. Exactly. Maybe maybe messes with your mind a little. But then also, we are extending the shelf life, not just of rare citrus, but of citrus. Of any citrus. At large. And that, uh, yeah, that cordial lived in the walk-in from the day we opened until the day we closed. And I tasted it on the last day and it was still the same product. Wow. You know, basically unchanged, you know, maybe slightly oxidized, but not in a way that was unpleasant, just evolved. Exactly. And that was in, you know, a Cambro with an ill-fitting lid in an (laughs) often open and closed walk-in. This stuff is bulletproof. Wow. Mm -hmm. The, The other benefit of this product is because you're bringing it up to a simmer, you don't have to worry about, you know, the freshest juice imaginable. So, you know, Bar programs that have somebody on prep every day who uh, is, you know, like a prep wizard, they can do the centrifuge every day, you know, fresh clarified lime, fresh clarified grapefruit, you know, these ingredients that are really, really easy to utilize and, and really useful. But for everybody else, just save all of your spent juice at the end of the day. You know, if you're juicing every day, you're going to end up with days where you accidentally make too much. That's, you know, universal. Don't dump it down the drain dump it in a Cambro in the walk-in, and then every Friday, you know, or whenever your Cambro is full, treat it with clarification enzymes, which we'll get into. You know, clarify it either in a centrifuge or treat it with enzymes, let it sit for a few days, rack off the clear stuff, and then this is product that you are already going to pour down the drain, equal parts by weight, that, you know, clarified spent juice and sugar, a few peels, uh, bring it up to a simmer, cut the heat, And then we'll talk about whether or not you want to acid adjust it. But it's a great ingredient. And you Mm -hmm. just took something, you know, there's a lot of people who want to make lime stock or, you know, citrus stock, all these other like anti-waste things. And you've got this juice right here that you're going to dump down the drain. Don't. Make a cordial. Phenomenal. I love it. I love it. And while we are still on the why clarify section mm-hmm. i've already again i've already increased my position even more over the course of this conversation i'm I, i'm there i'm fully in i'm selling stocks in apple and i'm buying clarification right now that's what so. i like to hear <laughs> let's go it's fantastic however wanted to also remind folks maybe point them in the direction of our paloma episode because i believe another use that we spoke about then you know we got into the mm-hmm. topic of clarification just a little then is for carbonation. If Absolutely. you're carbonating things, they have to be clear. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, all those nucleation sites, all the little bits of pulp and flesh are just places for bubbles to escape. If you want, you know, superior carbonation in anything, you got to go clarified. Mm-hmm. So, you know, f- fresh clarified lime is the ultimate thing to add to a gin and tonic. That sounds incredible. I got to also, I don't know whether we've ever brought this up since then, but I got to make uh, something of an apology to the listeners for an error on my part. We got very excited when we did the Paloma episode because I mistakenly I had a brain fart. 
I thought that Paloma was the Spanish word for butterfly. The word is actually mariposa, is butterfly, and Paloma is、ah. a pigeon or a, a, a dove. I forget. It's it's a common bird. I think it's a pigeon. And then we went into Crazy Town. <laughs> so. If anything, that the, the error was justified, but I wanted to acknowledge it. I wanted to say to the listeners, I recognize my mistake.、It's、That's big while, of you, you to know? do. And not a day goes by where I don't think about that song and that error. So there we go. We've covered the Paloma. We've covered、uh, Carbonation once again. Yes. Why don't you talk us? Why don't you get us into the mechanics of this? Sure. So there's quite a few ways to clarify things. There's you know agar, freeze thaw, blah blah blah.、Uh, those are all great. The one that I advocate for because I think that it will deliver you the best yield and ultimately is the easiest is、uh, pectinex. Is you know a pectin based or the opposite of pectin essentially.、Uh, pectinex is an enzyme that breaks the、uh, pectin. So if you think about pectin being like the thing that holds a jelly in its wiggly, so you know like、mm-hmm. a jam or a jelly, pectin is what holds it together.、Uh, Pectinex is an enzyme that breaks pectin and allows things to fall out of solution. Oh wow! So the trifecta of ingredients that you need for clarification are pectinex, which can be purchased. You know, you can get it at Calustians if you're in New York.、Uh, Calustians, the greatest store of all time.、Mm-hmm. Go check it out; so much fun.、Uh, but you can order it from、uh, Modernist Pantry. Is my preferred source for all three of the ingredients that we're going to talk about today, and then. Two wine fining agents. So you know, fining is that process of making things clear. You know, think about like if you're going to clarify a stock with an egg white raft. It's same idea, just like giving particulate something to grab onto. So the pectinex is there to break the particulate out of solution, and then the fining agents, kieselsalt and kytosan, are there to、uh, clump it together. And have it drop to the bottom of whatever vessel you're clarifying in. So, the process is: you take one liter, you know, a thousand grams, a, just a, a liter of product that you want to clarify, a juice,、uh, lime juice, lemon juice, etc. You add four milliliters of pectinex and four milliliters of kieselsalt to that product. Give it a stir. Let it sit for like ten minutes. Then add four milliliters. It's it's such a small amount that you're you're gonna spend a little bit on what seems like a small quantity, but you're gonna get so much life out of it. One second, sorry. These are liquid ingredients. So the kieselsalt and the pectinex are liquid ingredients, and then kytosan is a powder that you purchase from Modernist Pantry, and then you. So the reason that we like the powdered kytosan is because it's fungally derived. And there's also some that's derived from、uh, shrimp shells. So get just like you, you don't have to worry about、mm-hmm. like I feel like it's so processed that allergies are less of a risk. But just like folks that are vegetarian, just get the fungally derived stuff,、mm-hmm. and then you don't have to even think about it. Just trust Jack, folks. Just trust him. Sure. So you you take the powder and you、uh, add 400 grams of water to a blender. And then turn it on so it creates a vortex in the bottom, and then add five grams of the、uh, kytosan, and then add you know a hundred milliliters of、uh, distilled white vinegar, and let that blend for a few minutes until it's fully emulsified, you know, fully a solution, and then you know let the bubbles dissipate, and it's ready to use. So you've got your lime juice. Let's say we're just going to say we're clarifying lime today.、Mm-hmm. So you've got a liter of lime juice. You've added four milliliters of、uh, pectinex and four milliliters of kieselsalt. You've waited ten minutes. Now you add four milliliters. Four is an important number. Four milliliters of kytosan to it. That prepared kytosan vinegar solution. Give it a stir. Let it sit for ten minutes. Then add. You're not going to believe this. Four milliliters of kieselsalt. You go back to the kieselsalt. So you go pectinex and kieselsalt, kytosan. Just kieselsalt in that order, with ten minutes between each, and then at that point you can immediately,、uh, after an additional ten minutes, you know, ten minutes after the the kieselsalt, the second kieselsalt treatment's gone in, you can spin it in a centrifuge and it'll be ready for service. You know, ten fifteen minutes after that, or you can let it sit in the fridge overnight and you'll see a dramatic drop 
and particulates to the bottom, and you can rack off the clear stuff and then either spin the bottom, you know, spin in the centrifuge, whatever's left at the bottom of that. If you don't care so much about yield, you can just dump the the gritty bottom part, or you can, you know, put it all through uh, cheesecloth a few times, or through, you know, like a super bag or super fine mesh or through cloth or... You know, do whatever you can to strain the rest of it, that, you know, dusty particulate-filled bottom uh, to increase your yield. But then you've got a clarified product. And if you just rack off, you know, from a big Cambro, you end up with, like, roughly uh, 60, between 60 and 75% yield, which isn't great. But, you know, it's also not terrible if it's something you're already going to dump down the drain. And this is this is the technique that I would use uh, this like big bucket version of clarification only for things that I was going to turn into a cordial or like cook in some way. Uh, because if you want that super fresh flavor, you should really be spinning it from juice that you just made. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why I'm such a cordial advocate because it's something I recommend for folks at home and for, you know, bars that are just going to dump stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. So like you don't need a centrifuge to just use your your waste product mm -hmm. so even when you're going fresh and this is for you know the, mm -hmm. the, the the let's call it higher grade clarified in a way it's yeah. it sounds like that right you know because mm -hmm. if we're using a fresher ingredient you're still going through the the, the same exact process same exact process yeah. okay but you know we might make you know back in the existing conditions era we would make like you know two quarts of fresh clarified lime juice for like a, you know, Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. But this cordial technique that I'm talking about is all the juice that we saved in the walk-in for the full week. And, you know, we'd end up with, you know, 15 quarts of, you know, like in a 22-quart Cambro, clarify all of that, and then use that to make cordial. And then we'd end up with like, you know, 20 quarts of this amazing product that we ended up using in a ton of drinks. We had... Uh, clarified acid-adjusted lime cordial that was going in gin and tonics, was going in, you know, stirred stuff on the menu, and a clarified acid-adjusted lemon cordial that was just, like, such a killer ingredient. So, yeah, once you've got that juice, you just take equal parts, clarified, you know, spent juice and sugar by weight, put it in a pot on the stove, and for every, like, quart-ish of product, add the peels of, you know, three limes or three lemons. That's much less technical. It's just like eyeball mm -hmm. some peels because you just want to leach some of that. That That's the thing that's really lost in clarification is the flavor of like pith and peel because mm -hmm. it's so much about the particulate. Because the essential oils. Yeah, and mm -hmm. all that just like touch of bitterness. Yep. So just throw that back in in the form of peels. Uh, just bring it up just until it starts to simmer. You don't want to cook it. You know, you want it to maintain as much of the like fresh brightness as possible. Uh, just bring it up to a bare simmer so it kills any bacteria that's in it. Cut the heat, let it cool, strain it. And then the thing about the product at this point is it's truly a syrup that has some acid, but because you've added all that sugar to it, it doesn't have as much acid as fresh lime or lemon juice. So if you want it to have that amount of acid... It's a it's a pretty complex and not complex. It's just like it's a mathematical calculation that fortunately Dave Arnold did for us. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll just give you the numbers rather than talk about, you know, titratable acidity and yep. this is six percent acid and you've mm -hmm. added this many grams of sugar, so it's lost this percentage of acid. The idea is for lime juice, uh, once you've made the cordial, per liter of finished product, add fifteen grams of citric acid and eight grams of malic acid. For lemon cordial, once you've got that cordial, per liter, 22 grams of citric acid. That's it. Phenomenal, phenomenal mm -hmm. stuff. So that's the, you know, it's going to be, because there is some sugar in uh, lime and lemon juice, but it's, you know, negligible, but it's there. So it's going to be like a scotch over 50 bricks, like probably 51, 52. It's simple syrup, for all intents and purposes, it's mm -hmm. simple syrup that has the same flavor and acidity of lime juice or lemon juice. It's a wildly useful ingredient. That sounds, absolutely sounds like it. Um, before we move on, there was 
something that, uh, and I didn't want to interrupt because I feel like it doesn't help to interrupt, especially with the numbers and the process. I was, right there. I, I got, I got deep in the weeds. There no, for but a I, I, I liked it, and I think it's useful. I think folks, folks listening will, uh, they might, they might want to go back and, or they might want to, yeah, rewind and take some notes. Maybe slow it down. You know how it's annoying to slow a podcast down, but I think yeah. in that one. But you also presented it in a way where I know for sure that I, if I was, you know, listening and mm-hmm. approaching this at home, I'm like. I could do this. I, I can follow that step by step. So thank you very much for that. One of the things I wouldn't be able to do is, you know, that step of the centrifuge, but you explained, you know, how yeah. you can get around that and your yields. And I listen, I think if anyone is going to do this at home, they're not going to worry too much about we're a little bit of wasted, right? If you are interested in doing this at home, you're not going to be like, yeah, but my yield is um, what's happening to the rest exactly. of the Exactly. Like so. when, if you're worrying about yields, <laughs> you're working at a bar. Yeah, exactly. That probably has a centrifuge already. Um, Wish I knew about this during the pandemic. I would have been all over clarification at home. On that centrifuge, though, centrifuge, because I was someone who was interested in in science at high school. Um, What is actually going on there? So, like, the thing... so. Maybe, or maybe someone's never seen one. Talk about this equipment. Talk yeah. about some, maybe someone is running a barb program. They're hearing about this now. They're getting super psyched about it. How much should they be spending on something like that? Expect to spend. Can you get used ones and what? But yeah. start by telling us what is actually happening with this machine. Essentially, like if you've used a washing machine with a spin cycle, that's a centrifuge. It's spinning something really fast to remove, you know, you're spinning the water out of the drum that has holes in it, essentially. Got it. So So it spins so fast that it presses the solids to the inside of the rotor of the vessel that it's spinning in. And uh, then once it stops spinning, it's been compressed into a puck at the, you know, bottom of the vessel, essentially. Wow. That that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Then talk to us about this. Yeah, maybe for those folks, like I said, the folks in the bars that uh, they yeah. want to know more about that equipment and maybe some of the, um, you know, how reliable is this equipment? Is this something where you're like, you're going to need to be doing maintenance? Let's talk us through the mechanics of it from owning one at a bar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the the centrifuge that, you know, everybody has at bars at this point is the Spinzol. Is the Booker and Dax Spinzol that, you know, my mentor, Dave Arnold, designed, built. It's a great machine. Uh, they just released a pre-order for uh, version 2.0. I think, unfortunately, that pre-order has closed at this point. But if you keep pestering uh, both, you know, Booker and Dax, Dave, and uh, Modernist Pantry and saying, I want one, they'll find a way to make more. You know, there, there's, there's going to be a third run of the Spinzol. At some point, it just, you know, is, is demand-based, essentially. So demand it. It's a great <laughs> machine. It's like a thousand bucks. And if you're running a bar program that, you know, here here's the thing. Existing conditions had 120 some odd seats and we were pushing some pretty serious volume out of it. And basically every cocktail on, you know, like a 20 to 30 drink cocktail menu had an ingredient that touched a centrifuge in some capacity. There's very few things that didn't use something that had been spun at some point. It was just so foundational to our program. And we were able to run that whole uh, bar program off of four spinzols. It's, it, th- you know, if you're just going to have a couple of drinks that use a clarified ingredient on them, one spinzol is more than enough for, you know, a very serious cocktail program. As long as you're not, you know, spilling juice into the rotor or, you know, dealing with all of the things that essentially all the things that can go wrong in a Spinzol are just based on care and use. Mm -hmm. And I know that stuff gets beaten up in bars, but it's just something to be really careful with how you're cleaning it, how you're storing Mm -hmm. it, treating it like the thousand dollar piece of equipment that it is. Which listening to that thousand dollars and hearing you, you know, go through that, I'm in my head I'm going, is that more expensive or less expensive than I thought it was gonna be? I'm gonna say less expensive, but then as I start thinking about a thousand dollars as a number, you can't get a new iPhone for that these days. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and this is a business, right? Uh, having worked from the kitchen, I don't know whether this was a, a different piece of equipment that you ever used. I imagine 
Dave definitely has been using them in, in other capacities, but the Paco jet machine and oh my God. how often that would break down. Yes, the Paco jet was never in service. It was always <laughs> broken. You know, incredible, you know. Incredible like, piece of equipment. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, it's basically used, well, we used it a lot in the kitchen for, it's, it's primary uses for ice creams and sorbets. And rather than having to slowly freeze them and have something rotating, you refre- you freeze them as a block. And then this high RPM blade comes down and it works magic. Yeah. Incredible machine when it's working. When it's working. Yeah. And those are expensive. Yeah. And PacoJet was kind of, speaking of Apple, I feel like not Apple these days in terms of the iPhone. The iPhone is just the vehicle to sell all their other shit because every year they change it slightly so you need to buy a new case that gets more expensive and the AirPods, which have terrible life, you know, all this stuff. Like Actually, the the iPhone's the cheap part these days. Same with the PacoJet. You had to get the specific containers that fit inside it. They were super expensive. Um... In London, this is, this is a real sidebar, but there, there appeared to be, in the whole London restaurant scene, I'm not sure if it's changed, there was one man, and that was it, who serviced Paco Jets. He was oh a Frenchman, and I think he probably had like four Bentleys. <laughs> <laughs> he was making an absolute killing. Oh, man. Yeah, th- that is a wonderful machine, but oh, my God, are they so unreliable. Mm-hmm. So ridiculous. So the Spinzol is not like the Paco mm-hmm. Jet in that way. They work. And, you know, if something has gone wrong, Dave is actually pretty reliable about if you reach out to him, he'll point you in the right direction. Oh, and, in terms you know, of self-maintenance yeah, or, or people who can help? There's, there's someone who works for Booker and Dax that will get back to you oh, wow. for sure. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, it could even be like they'll schedule a Zoom call to like talk you through the things that mm-hmm. aren't working, that are working, like how to, how to troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. Jack. Yes. Any other areas of clarification that we haven't covered yet today? Uh, I think that we haven't covered yet the like use cases for once you've made this cordial. Yes. We haven't talked about what to do with it. Oh my god! So tell us. I was know. so I was so far into the technique yeah. that I forgot about the cocktail. So you can take that clarified acid-adjusted lemon or lime juice, just make an old-fashioned with it. That's the place to start. Like use the lime with your favorite mezcal. Make an old-fashioned. It will completely blow you away. The cordial. The cordial. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it, you know, essentially makes a two-ingredient margarita that has the texture of an old-fashioned. It's bonkers. It'll blow your mind. I immediately want one. Yeah. It's insanely delicious. And also, you can batch that and store it, you know, in your fridge or freezer. And it's, again, infinite shelf life. Yeah. It's cool. It's, yeah. it's cool and it tastes good. Do the same thing with lemon and a you know a whiskey of your choice, or just play with it. Uh, I will caution you that don't try and use too much of it. Think of it as a modifier that you're going to use a very small amount of because it's very sweet and it's very sour. So I don't recommend using more than you're generally going to use amounts lower than a half ounce in a cocktail. So that'll also you know help your you can worry less about yield because you'll get so much out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the ingredient once you've made it. It's punchy. Exactly. Who in the city is doing clarified cordials anymore? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope somebody will start. I keep some around. You know, I have some. I also have the... Uh, I figured you might. The little jar of uh, quinine sulfate, if like pure quinine from the existing conditions era. So I have the... It's for the, your G&T? The good, good uh, tonic cordial <sighs> that I keep around. It's wild. <laughs> I don't have a home carbo rig right now because, you know, as Dave would say, I'm a low-quality individual. Uh, so <laughs> my carbonation isn't on point, mm-hmm. but my GNTs are tasting very good. Wow, that does sound phenomenal. Uh, not enough demand there for someone to do this as a business or not I, I just not really, really don't want to. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do so much clarification. Um, I've, I've, you know, done some one-off clarifying projects for folks but uh, every every step of it seems so a certain amount of labor intensity goes into a lot. Of this. It takes more brain power than it does, you know, like physical fortitude. You you have to just like think about what you're doing before you do it, because if you add too much of any one of the clarification agents, you can you know it it just won't come out clear. Okay, if yeah. you add too much, too much, too little, really, it's, it's relatively fickle. Mm. So. 
just be careful and, you know, get a, a 10 mil graduated cylinder. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we used a micro pipette at the bar that was, you know, like a hundred bucks. And if you're going to do this a lot, maybe get a micro pipette, mm-hmm. but you know, somebody will store it wrong. It'll end up with, you know, juice in the spring and then mm-hmm. it won't work anymore. So just get a 10 mil graduated cylinder and a hundred mil graduated cylinder. If you're going to do big batches of things, you know, more than 10 quarts or 10 liters, just get, get a couple graduated cylinders. Those are in the realm of, you know, $5 a mm-hmm. piece or less. Wow. So, and also just in general, get a bunch of graduated cylinders. They're the best way to measure liquid by volume. Like don't try and use like a, you know, Pyrex 32 ounce measuring cup to measure a liter. Just get <laughs> a one liter graduated cylinder for when you're making batches. It's going to make your life so much easier. Nice. We had up to, we had two, definitely two liter graduates, graduateds at existing conditions, maybe three. We definitely had a bunch of two liters and it was how we measured everything before it went into the Cambro. And that's why all our batches tasted good. Consistency because, exactly. Well. It's, it's, um, I'm not going to say idiot proof by the sounds. It still seems like a lot of thought is going into it, but definitely adds some um, a safety helmet to the process. Exactly. Just, you know, precision is so important. Mm-hmm. What about the clarified fresh juice just on its own, not going into cordial? Oh, yeah. Well, you can use that as you would, uh, you know, a fresh juice. One cocktail that I keep coming back to in my, uh, you know, in my brain for one of my all-time favorite, you know, clarified stirred cocktails was something that Nick Bennett came up with uh, back in the day at Booker and Dax. It was called the Solitaire. It was a split-based cocktail of white rum. I think we were using Florida Cognac for a year and uh, aged Bulls Geneva. So it was one ounce, one ounce. And then it was half, half, half clary lime, uh, simple syrup, and strega. And it drank like a martini and a, like, you know, I told you not to stir a daiquiri, but it drank like a martini and a daiquiri, you know, like had a baby and the kid was really cool. Wow. It was such a brilliant drink. And it was, get this, very Bennett garnished with a lime twist. So just like that touch of additional bitterness. It was such a good drink. And now I like am voracious to drink one just need to have that back in my life i need to have something clarified right now i should have brought some cordial i don't know what i was thinking next time next time um you know what i find is really interesting about this in this conversation because i'm very fascinated by everything you have to say today and all of the the use cases that you're laying out right now make a lot of sense um there's a sustainability side to it but there's also just a philosophical, an approach, a yeah. style thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, three Michelin star restaurants, you know, El Bulli, that it existed, was a great thing. There can be other El Bullies. There are. There are other restaurants in the world that are doing the same thing. That doesn't mean that Paris bistros can't also exist, Exactly. Right? I'm not going to tell anybody that, like, right. hey, you can only make clarified drinks from now on. It's just, it's a technique that gives you a new route to explore flavor. I f- do find it interesting that the hate comes from one direction, if you know what I mean, yeah. rather than the other one. It's not people... I don't know anyone who I think to be a proponent of clarification is going like, why are you still... What, you're still using unclarified citrus? I can't believe you're shaking a margarita. <laughs> no, there's no one in the world that you does Neanderthals. that. And you know what? And like my, all my favorite drinks are Dax, Marg's, martinis, you know, and those are, you know, leaps and bounds ahead for me in my cocktail pantheon of anything I've ever come up with that with anything clarified. Like I love mm-hmm. clarified drinks and I think they're incredible and especially clarified carbonated stuff. Those are like some of the most delicious drinks I've ever had. But if somebody asks me what's my favorite cocktail, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, it's the hatchback from Booker and Dax that was tequila, Campari, clarified lime, clarified grapefruit, mm-hmm. uh, like this really phenomenal cocktail. Like I, I, it's not the first thing that I say when it's like, what's something, what's your favorite drink? It's, oh, it's a martini. Mm-hmm. It's the thing with two ingredients that's perfect that everybody loves. Like, what's that's, that, gin and vibes? Yeah, exactly. Gin and having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, you know what, this is nothing to do with our topic today and also everything. Yeah. And this is a very weird direction for this to go, maybe for it to end. Who knows? 
and maybe this is just very obvious to people, but when I was thinking about our episode, you know, and, and folks don't realize this, this is a one day turnaround. We just came up this morning. We said, let's chat about clarification. Yeah. I love it. Um, but when I was spending some time thinking about this, it made me appreciate the true miracle that is water, <laughs> right? Hear me out. You have an ingredient here that's completely colorless, completely odorless, without taste. Of course, some waters have mineral, but H2O on its own, completely without taste, and is basically 70% of everything that exists on this little rock we call the earth. And not just the sea, I'm on about people animal yeah is that kind of crazy it's wild do you ever think about that oh i'm always thinking about water (laughs) absolutely (laughs) i it it's a it's the most important ingredient in any cocktail either frozen or not frozen you strike me as a man who stays phenomenally hydrated oh i will go through a full case of pure Lacroix every day Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Again, because I don't have the home carbo rig, so I, mm. I just drink, you know, cold cans constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a big time sparkling water advocate and still water as well. Mm-hmm. It's so important to stay hydrated. Fantastic. Well, you know, Jack, we, we came into this, we were about to press record and we say, yeah, so we'll probably just do like quick 30 on clarification. We didn't know whether it was going to go further. I think we got a lot of great stuff here. We, we've definitely gone past that, which is a good sign. I am, as always, going to be stepping out of the studio today after having spoken to you, feeling inspired. Wow. Feeling that I want to immediately seek out these drinks. I need If anyone knows places in New York and can tell us and can send us a message on Instagram, whatever, where clarification is happening, I would love to see that. I do get the feeling that Harrison Snow and the folks down there at Lullaby might start experimenting. I feel like it's not too far out of their wheelhouse, and those are pretty ambitious guys down there. I love to hear it. Yeah, I wonder whether they might be doing that. Um, But before we let you go. Yes. We've got some new questions to end the show for you here today. Uh, all right, we're going to kick off with question number one. What's one cocktail that you think bartenders too often shy away from making because it can be tricky or has a reputation of being tricky and time-consuming to make? Would you believe it if I said it was anything clarified? <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good one for... Yeah, you yeah. know, just, I'm going to just keep beating this dead horse. Just try it. Just mm-hmm. try the technique. The you know single ingredient clarified cocktail is uh, is so worthy of study, mm-hmm. and it's worth your time. Fantastic. Question number two: Which cocktail creation or riff are you most proud of from your career up to this point? And we might have said that 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 career behind the bar seems to have been seems to be behind you now. I I think that it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, obviously I'm so proud of all of the work that we're doing at Solid Wiggles. And it'd be easy to say, you know, one of our, you know, current menu offerings, like the, you know, the Cosmos that's a, you know, looks like outer space, tastes like a Cosmo, is insanely beautiful and delicious and a delight. But I'm going to, you know, stick to the spirit of the question and talk about a cocktail today. One that I'm enormously proud of that also uh, fits with the theme. So I'm going to talk about a cocktail called the Portfolio that was on the opening menu and, you know, all the way through the closing. It was one of the few drinks that made it the entire lifespan of existing conditions. It's three quarters of an ounce of uh, Chivas 12 year, three quarters of an ounce of Delmagay Vita, three quarters of an ounce of Ramazzotti, and three eighths of an ounce, so right between quarter and half of uh, clarified acid-adjusted lemon cordial uh, and five drops of a 20% saline solution uh, stirred, served up, no garnish. Wow. Yeah. It's, you know, rich and spiritous and bright and refreshing and funky and different. And I absolutely love that cocktail. And when I, it was one of those drinks that, you know, it took two tries. Like it was two specs. You know, some, the 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 real killers are the ones that you don't have to tinker with too much. Like I, it was just too much cordial the first time because I did it equal parts and I was like, oh, that's too sweet and too tart. Mm -hmm. I'll dial that back. You know, it was three quarter, three quarter, three quarter, three quarter. And I just cut the cordial in half. And then I was like, 
this is perfect. I bet also when when it is that question, you know, cocktail creation and, and when it is purely a thing of balance and it's mm-hmm. a sweetness and rather than tweaking the proportions of other ingredients, I imagine that always feels quite good. You're like, yep, this is nearly there. We're nearly yeah. done. Versus mm-hmm. like, I need more of this modifier or this and then you start tweaking then you're like some other balances off i don't know yeah Um, it it just that's just a general good uh rule to live by when you're when you're changing a spec and you're not quite right don't change four things change one thing first and then see if you're closer to where you want to be or farther away Mm -hmm. question number three here for you today what is the secret to a great bar playlist or soundtrack ah the secret to a great bar playlist is continuity. And, you know, not continuity across, uh, like, every song you're ever going to play, but have a block that has a theme, you know, for, you know, like a four-hour playlist that has a through line so that you don't end up with, you know, like, pop hits. And then, like, for for example... In the in the Booker and Dax days, we were a part of the Momofuku Empire, and we were forced to take their master playlist on an iPod and hit shuffle, which is how we would end up with, uh, you know, it being six o'clock on a Sunday, and you know, a slow start. So there's like you know five guests in the room, and we're listening to like Pavement or something, you know, and then it's like. Uh, Something like, you know, Most Deaf comes on, and then it would be Closer by Nine Inch Nails. And first of all, wildly inappropriate for that time with that many people in the room, but also just like the vibe was off Mm -hmm. because there was no common theme. So that was something that I think we did really well at uh, Existing Conditions was have, you know, we had some folks that were really musically inclined, like... uh, one guy who started as a as a bar back and then was a server and a bartender, this guy Damon Hardroi Rogo, uh, who's in a band called Infinity Shred, and it, you know has a great musical brain, and he made a ton of playlists for us. And then you know we would have like fun like Goth Night or you know just like playlists that had a a through line that took someone on a journey that they could jump in at any point, and no song coming next would feel out of place. And I think just keeping a vibe steady is more important than anything. I like that. I love the idea of continuity. A quick follow-up on that. Yes. Does there need to be continuity from night to night in terms of... It doesn't doesn't need to be the same playlist, but right, I go to your bar and one night it's like disco and jazz, had that kind of feel Mm -hmm. to it, yeah? Funk, disco, soul, that kind of thing, right? And then I'm like, I love the music. I'm coming back. And then it's like death metal. Do you think that's necessarily a bad thing? Or I think that any extreme of any genre is a mistake on a bar playlist. So, you know, keep it within the the realm of music that, you know, the mm-hmm. majority of humans enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything too extreme in the, in the metal direction, you know, there are bars for that, mm-hmm. that people go to for that. Um, and, you know, like you don't necessarily need like a, you know, massive rock block Mm -hmm. of like smooth jazz or, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that can be uh, generally unpleasant for a group of people, probably avoid it. Um, But I don't think it's so important to have the, you know, vibe of the music be the same every night. I think it's more interesting. It's definitely more interesting for staff. And again, that's something that I'm always considering is like, is the staff going to hate working here? Because the playlist is the same every night. Yes, that's that's something you have to avoid because the, you know, worst thing you can do at any bar is have an unhappy staff because then everybody's having a bad Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Guests included. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if I've mentioned this on this podcast before. I certainly mentioned it when I uh, was a guest writer for Brad Thomas Parsons newsletter uh, Mm -hmm. for his dive bar jukebox. Yes. Talking about those extremes, I have mistakenly cleared a bar and felt terrible about it a dive bar in brooklyn when i put the entirety of fela kuti and ginger baker live (laughs) album on it each song are about 10 minutes long yeah i felt terrible what it was doing on a dive bar and jukebox i have no idea either but yeah talking about extremes that's that's and like great album you know great listen not 
correct for a dive bar. No. And so on a Sunday afternoon when people are trying to watch football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is rough. I feel bad to this day. Never been back. Uh, Jack, question number four. If you could work one shift at any bar in the world, past, present, fictional or real, what would it be and why? Okay. This is one that I, you know, you know, full disclosure, everybody out there, he sent me these questions in advance. So I, I did a lot of thinking about this one today. Like, is there a, you know, bar anywhere in fiction that I'd want to be behind and what would it be? And the thing that I kept thinking about is some of the most unpleasant shifts of my entire life have been behind bars that are unfamiliar. Is like when you're getting behind a, a bar for the first time, you're, you don't know what to do with your hands, you know, where is everything, what am I doing? So the answer for me is I want one more shift at existing conditions. I want to mm-hmm. go back to that station, that the, the bar station at the front, the first one in the corner when you walk in, that one, you know, right by the host stand. I want to work one more shift at that station mm-hmm. because, you know, I design the layout of the cheaters. I designed the layout of the wells and where all the bottles would go. And my touches were so, like, I could make the menu basically with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by the end of it, I just knew where everything was. And that's like the real joy of bartending when the drinks just like flow out of you. Mm-hmm. I want that feeling again. And mm-hmm. the way that, you know, we on, you know, March. 19th 2020 that was my last real shift behind that bar because the world ended the next day uh and we did reopen that like weird first covid summer we you know tried to do some uh like to go stuff and it wasn't really bartending it was just like Mm -hmm. putting batch in bottles or pouring batch into cups and handing it to someone Mm -hmm. past a you know plastic shield Mm -hmm. and you know i we did that for it was mostly, you know, it was like me and and AK, who was the GM, and uh, Andrew, who was a bar back. Like, a, a few people came back to try and, you mm-hmm. know, do something. And there was a Sunday night that, you know, I was basically the only person working. And I made a few drinks, and I locked the door, and planning on coming back on Wednesday to to reopen, you know, Wednesday morning. And on Tuesday, I found out that existing conditions had closed forever. So, you know, I would, I'd love to get a final shift behind that bar. And now it's not possible because it's mm-hmm. Mace now. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you have any inclination on March 19th that that might be a possibility? Absolutely not. No. I thought that, you know, oh, this will, nobody knew what to think at that point. I thought we'll take a few weeks, we'll take a month, and yeah. then, you know, how long can this last? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anybody knew what to think. I think obviously, and I'm only looking at bars, right? There, there are so many terrible things about the pandemic and the, and the loss and whatnot, right? And I think we all talk about what a shame it was that there are bars that are no longer with us, but I don't think there are people out there. I don't think most people realize that, yeah, you didn't get to say goodbye on your own terms. Like even if your bar mm-hmm. doesn't work, Generally, you know when the last night's going to be, right? And you right? can tell people, hey, come see me. Yeah. It's the last, it's your last chance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't have that opportunity, unfortunately. To just the mm-hmm. way things shook out. I think, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, I've spoken with Joaquin Simo about. And, and you know, they they came back and then and they kind of went out on their terms after that. They, hold a whole, they had a whole week of yeah. festivities. And, you know, that was the one thing I think that was a... The, the kind of silver lining or the saving grace there. Um, Jack, final question for you today. If you could change one aspect of the modern bar industry, and we're not asking you to, to shit on anything here. This is just yeah. like a positive question. Of course. What would it be? Uh, I think that I would just adjust the focus of, uh, you know, and this was something that I thought about a lot in my, in my days as a bartender, uh, just shift everyone's focus away from being on lists and just operate a program on your terms and make your guests happy and create a niche for yourself and just be great on your terms, not on mm-hmm. top of you know a list that somebody else thinks is important. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying that you know it's not 
an important thing to, you know, do things that are good marketing for your bar. You know, winning awards and being on lists is obviously important mm-hmm. and gives you credence. But I think that uh, focus on your guests first and, mm-hmm. you know, then the list will come or they won't. But exactly. if your guests are happy, then you should be happy. And you know, we have a we have a Vine Pair article on this very topic about what can happen after you become number one bar in the world or rank very highly and how much everything changes. The guests aren't the same. Yeah. Everything. So, you know, definitely maybe some extra money in it there, but you know, you might end up losing your bar in a way that you didn't realize. So I think yeah. those are great thoughts and I think they're well put. So Jack, once again, welcome back, my friend. We'll have to have you in again soon. Tim, thank you so much. I'm happy to come back anytime. Please bring the cordial when you do. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Cheers. All right, cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.